Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. You're listening to Nakedly Examined Music, a podcast about songs and songwriters. My name is Mark Lintenmeyer. My guest for episode 124 is Alev Lenz. Born in Germany, now living in London. She started in the early aughts with her metal band Alev and has put out three solo albums since 2008, as well as working on May soundtracks and some collaborations. You're right now listening to a 2016 song, Fall Into Me, that was created for the soundtrack to the TV show Black Mirror, specifically the episode Hated in the Nation. Netflix watchers will also recognize her theme song May the Angels from the German TV show Dark. Today we'll be discussing The Chair from her latest album Three from 2019, which is a pretty darn short song, as are the next two, the title track from Two-Headed Girl, her 2016 album, and Flowers of Love from her first album Storytelling Piano Playing Fräulein, from 2009. And as a bonus, we'll discuss In This Mouth by Anushka Shankar featuring Olive Lenz from Anushka's Love Letters album 2020. And we'll conclude by listening to Cigarettes and Blow again from Olive's album 3. For more information, please see olivelens.com. For more about this podcast, check nakedlyexaminedmusic.com. And if you want to support what we're doing, please go make a contribution at patreon.com slash nakedlyexaminedmusic. So I will have played a little bit of Fall Into Me from the Black Mirror soundtrack. So we're already almost to the present. We're going to get closer to the present with The Chair from your album 3, 2019. Do you want to say a little about where you're at with that album and with this particular song? The Chair is, I think, one of my favorite songs, actually, from my recent album. And it's my current baby. So it's just, you know, learning to walk, running. It just started its life, this album. And so, yeah, it's very recent to me. I'm very pleased it's out there. I hope I get to perform it a little bit more than what I did because I had some plans of changing choirs and lots of different changing people in different choirs. That doesn't sound like anything that will happen soon. So that was the plan with the album. But it's, yeah, it's very recent to me. Very dear songs. And yeah, I'm very proud of my third album, actually. I once carried a man until I no longer could. I broke down and I told him, you should. But first, I got him a chair so he can sit while I explain. And to make sure he listen, and so he can show me some care, I cared for him so he will know how to. And I hadn't yet spoken, nor drunken a sip. We were told to move on, and I shouldered him gently. For another woman, who had carried a man until she no longer could, needed a chance to sit him, to tell him he should. Until you break that chair. 
fellow women to talk, to love, to laugh, to embrace, to rest. That circle won't be broken. Full glorious two minutes. <laughs> yes, less than that. So, room full of teeth. Your choir behind you. Did you have all these parts worked out? And then you, how how did that collaboration actually work on a technical level? Before we get into the meaning of the song, I was really happy that that worked out the way it did because it was very much unplanned. I was working on an album, which is now my third album, and I had this idea early on that it would be nice, you know, to use more voices. Meanwhile, Fall Into Me came out, which reached a lot of people around the globe and it also got to Roomful of Teeth and Deshaun Burton from Roomful of Teeth, he picked that song up and said, hey, shouldn't we sing this as an encore? So they did that and John Schaefer from WNYC, he had them play at the Ecstatic Festival and they played it there as an encore and there's a recording of it and because he had interviewed me just that year, he sent me the recording and he said to me, hey, do you know that Roomful of Teeth are doing your song? And I was like, no way. And I even got a recording with it. So it was really exciting. And then they just got in touch with me, just being like, hey, yeah, we're doing your song. And John pointed us towards your direction. And I was like, yeah, it's fantastic. I heard it. It's so great. And they're like, yeah, you know, whenever you need something, we're coming to London. Maybe you can sing with us. And of course, I was so flattered and honored. And I said yes immediately. And then they were just in Europe and said, you know, if you have anything else you want to do with us. And I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> actually, there's all these songs I have ready, this album I want to record. And it's multiple times me. And I don't know who should sing it yet. And you guys would be perfect. And so they were in London. We had a show together. And the next day we met in the studio. And I had prepared all the songs, prepared all the parts, printed them all out. I remember one of them going like, oh, my God, thank God, this isn't one of those jam sing something sessions <laughs> like come up with something so that was nice and i you know i gave them the parts and i was just kind of like let's see how much we get done in a day but they are just the most magnificent people and singers so we recorded seven songs in four hours wow so if you were singing all the parts for this initially does that put a, a limit on i know they have a couple male voices in there on how low the bass in quotes, parts were going, ah, ah, or were they expanding on what you had had there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, they would just transpose it in octave. The tenors did their thing because that kind of works with where I was singing it. I had in mind to arrange it for a choir and I knew a couple of months ahead that they were going to come to do this. So I knew their vocal range and did some sort of like, here's the one I want, really low. And then <laughs> didn't uh. sound that great. But they had an idea or they would actually, they would just transpose it down an octave for bass. But then the tenor, you know, and they all just found their voices as well. It was just printed out and they're like, great, we'll do this. And, you know, maybe I'll take this part. Would that be better? It was really smooth. I mean, I couldn't have, thinking of that day now, it was just, I'm very grateful. So is there still a multi-track demo of just you singing all the parts of this somewhere? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out if you were writing the parts with your voice, just add another track, add another track, which is what I would do if you're creating that, or if you're writing it on, like, was a keyboard involved at any point <laughs> in putting this together? 
Well, I think it was because I was making the album and I was in the studio with limited time because I had just, you know, become a new mom. So I just ran down to the studio and recorded the songs I had in mind and then really made noises that I thought were going to go along with the song. Oh, you know, here that would be nice, maybe a harmony, because I just did not have the time to add much else than a piano on my end. I just wanted Mm -hmm. the idea down, the song sort of there. And that just organically happened to be vocal only because I was just in the studio just singing because I had the time. So they were already written to be mainly a cappella, vocal only, very sparse piano. And then out of this necessity grew sort of the style of the album. And then while I was like, okay, I'm writing this new album. This is happening. Sounds like many voices. The mixing engineer I work with a lot, he was like, yeah, you should, you know, work with a choir. And I was like, yeah, maybe choir. Okay. You know, maybe I'll flesh it out myself a bit. And then really towards the end of that process, the whole room full of teeth sort of connection and them coming over happened. And then I was like, okay, great. You know, now I'll have a bass and a tenor and a baritone and it'll be really low. We'll have songs where we did not use the male vocals. So I made distinctions where it would work and where it wouldn't, but definitely demoed it out all myself and again with my voice because it's just so much faster for me to do than if I'd be on the keyboard so yeah there's definitely eight times Aleph demos floating around somewhere well and this one in particular I had wondered it wasn't clear to me until I was watching some video that there were some male vocals as opposed to contraltos because thematically this is a, a sisterhood song can you say a little more about the source text and where this idea came from The idea definitely came when I first stumbled upon Audre Lorde, the book Sister Outsider in particular, and there's a text in it, um, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. The whole writings, it was really just, I was like, oh my God, why was this book not on my curriculum in school? Like, how is this masterfully worded stuff already out there and not everyone is being told about it? So that really struck a chord with me, especially in that time as well, you know, becoming apparent and all the default positions we're all of a sudden supposed to be in or we automatically fall into. As much as it's about sisterhood, to me, feminism and liberalization out of certain systems that are extremely damaging for humans, that has not much to do with gender for me. It harms different genders in different ways, but it causes harm to everyone. That was really important to me to have male vocals on this album, but also really talk about each song and all the topics that are on the songs and on the album and as well with Roomful of Teeth, you know, before each song we sat down what that actually means, particularly in conversation with the men when it's a song, although they didn't actually raise that, but I always want to make sure that these are all very much human topics. (laughs) Someone might be a driving force, you know, feminism might be the driving force and it might seem it's something for sisterhood, but if everyone is free, then that means everyone. <laughs> yeah, the sisterhood thing doesn't come up till the end of the song, lyrically. This is why I was wondering how literally you had gotten this out of Lord. It sounds like not very much because it's talking about a relationship. I once carried a man till I no longer could and told him you should. In other words, he should carry himself. That that's the dynamic. It's not overt oppression. It's that the default is this correct interpretation that the default is maybe too often in relationships, at least I'm reading some of my own past experiences into this. I guess, what does that mean to you, the woman carrying the man in this case? It was literally what I had done Mm. and what I had been told or socialized into also believing that that is part of 
the relationship man-woman, which I don't think so anymore. I didn't even think that I was sort of in that system, that that was sort of my headspace or, you know, I thought I was way past that and way more, you know, informed. But with becoming a family and dynamics changing, I just found out a lot of things that I had sort of comfortably overlooked or hadn't seen or sort of just went along with. But then that was really the catalyst for me, the eye opener, which can be a different topic for everyone. You know, it's not parenthood. It's absolutely not necessarily that you become a mother to see a certain thing, but not at all. That was just, in my case, that was what was happened. And I just had carried that burden and thought that was, and definitely more than one man as well. <laughs> so, but yeah, so I was just like, well, this is my little statement. This is my little poem about this particular topic. And because of the text from Audley Lord being so good and so great, I put the tools in there. So it has the nod to the tools where it says, you know, burn the tools, break the chair. Because I think too often what happens is that we try to explain to either the oppressor or, you know, to the person in an unhealthy relationship or to just our opposite in an unhealthy system, in an oppressive, exploitative system. We try to explain that we exist, that we have needs, that we're here. And then you're really occupied with all of that, which is really what that means, that you kind of stretch yourself to explain that you exist, which is you're entertaining the oppressor, you know, so those tools will never actually set you free. So I get then the juxtaposition of, I'm going to sit you down and explain this, but then underlying, no, burn the chair. <laughs> it's not even... Yeah, 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 exactly. It's like, I'm going to sit you down and explain this. I can't even sit down, actually, because there's someone else who needs this chair. So you're like, ah, oh, okay, well, I'll get up. So that's actually never going to get you anywhere. So you just have to, yeah, scrap the chair. <laughs> it breaks away then from the, just a couple and their dynamics for this, I shouldered him gently giving the chair to another woman who had carried a man. So passing on the wisdom of this dynamic, consciousness raising by comparing your experiences, what's being talked about here? The thing is as well, which I mentioned before when asked about the song or when we were playing it live, it's not a breakup song with one person, but it's really a breakup song with a system. Mm -hmm. And then that system is explained in that, you know, it just keeps reoccurring. You kind of want to be like, I want to out of it and, you know, hold on just a minute. Okay, well, I can't because someone else needs this chair. I'll just continue. I'm sure I'll find a moment later. I'll go bleed later. And how are you? Okay, you know, you're just so occupied in it. So it was really the realization that what we do in our daily relationships also very much reflects what just simply happens systemically outside. And it's not necessarily all very healthy, <laughs> So let's scrap it. So the hard question, there are parts of this where I can see the connection between the theme of the lyric and the tone of how you're singing it. I mean, this whole burn the chair, that this kind of, I want to say battle cry, but why the overall tone, this ha, 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 like what in your head links that mood, which is kind of a casual, we're just hanging out <laughs> like to this dynamic of breaking away from a broken system of patriarchy or something like that. I think the way you word it explains it perfectly because it's not much more than that. You know, let's hang out casually and take our power back. But that's not a massive battle. It's just reclaiming things 
and finding the people that you can casually hang out with and say, yeah, let's burn that chair. Let's not, you know, because, you know, it's going to exhaust everyone if you take that messaging, trying to deliver it at the door of the oppressor and be like, look, we're so many. Isn't that cool? And, and you know, we're going to cry at your door and scream until you take down your own house. That's not going to happen. So I guess it is the we're together. It's quite casual, but let's change some things. <laughs> and how does the whoop fit into that? <laughs> Was it any idea where the whoop? whoop <laughs> I think that's really just the expression of joy. I mean, I feel joy when I sing that song. I do the whoops live myself. <laughs> it's Estee Gomez that does it on the record, who's so wonderful. Writing that song and having that song and having said those things, even out loud to myself or having put them down on paper, is the liberation in itself. Just realizing that is joyous. As painful as the period was leading up to it or going through it was, the end result is, oh, this is amazing. I just found something out. Whoop! <laughs> and the fact that you're not singing the rest of it, that is more or less a spoken word piece, kind of adds to that overall casual tone and that it's just taking off in the background <laughs> vocals really and in the whooping and things that it's not like many of your songs that are these dramatic dreamscapes you know you feel you're risen to sing in front of the moon as my listeners of course can't see your backdrop so that doesn't mean anything but well let's get the second song out there so this is going back in time a little, the title track from Two-Headed Girl 2016. But this has also got a similar, it's less talk singy, but it's a similar sort of momentum toward it. And it's also fairly short. You want to say a little about this album and where you're at with this before we hear it? Two-Headed Girl. Yeah, that was my second album. I actually thought a lot about Samuli Kosman in these days because I'm working on a project that he's on again as well. He's a fantastic drummer and was my co-producer on this album. So that was just a really lovely collaboration. First of all, I really like to remember when I think of this, it was really two of us. That is one big part of the story of Two-Headed Girl. And having, you know, my songs, I took them from Berlin, where I didn't want to be anymore, and went to London and then really fleshed them out there, produced them all out. I programmed the beats. I lay out the whole track and then added the pieces to it. One of it was Samuel Kosman. And, and it was also the time when I met Jazz Shaw who I've been working with ever since, when anything needs mixing done. So first of all, it was a real big move for me from Germany to the UK. It meant wonderful friendships. And then that sound evolved from it, I think. So I had the beats sort of programmed, you know, roughly, and some samples were nice, but most of it was really just placeholders. I got in touch with Samuli in Finland and was like, hey, would you want to record this record with me? And he said yes, which was really nice. And so we recorded all the songs in like a back and forth between London and Helsinki. And he played all the drums and he would just make it come alive. So Two-Headed Girl, the title track itself, had also fun things on it that sounded, you know, okay. It had this sort of movement, but he kind of added the centipede to it. <laughs> so it made it really come alive because what I didn't want on that record, I had a particular idea, was the regular drumming. Because I thought that with my songs, if I have, especially a song like Two-Headed Girl, and you go like, you know, you just put boom, chuck, boom, chuck, normal drums on it, normal sounding things. I usually want to create music that if I hear it from someone else, I'd be like, oh, I wish my song would sound like that. And I knew that, you know, I needed to do something to create that sound. And so it was perfect to have Samuli on it, who is just an exceptional drummer. I mean, he'll make 
crazy sounds. I would get the sessions back and I'd be like these tracks and you'd listen to them solo and I'd be like, oh my God, what is this? And then it was, it's this tapestry of magic percussions. It's just really wonderful. Two-headed girl wishes she had something clever to say about love. Two-headed girl wishes she had something clever to say about love. Your endeavors are her mission. Your love is her ignition. Off to someone else's heart. She's a traveling lady. She'll stay until your night is over. Your night is over. Your night is over too Headed a girl holds a torch in each hand She light it up as soon as she sees love from her Beacon hand glows worldwide Welcome, keep your story pump Give her the poor and the huddled masses Yearning, yearning Not talk sung. This is actually sung. Very music boxy. I saw there's a live version of you actually playing toy piano. And I was thinking thumb piano when I heard the sound. But I assume this is all <laughs> actual just, you know, synth samples in a computer. These raw sounds. Or am I wrong there? Anything that's keys will be a real piano. Or I used my Korg a lot at that time. I have a stage vintage, which I used a lot at the time. They have really great sounds on it. And Samuli would, he doesn't use samples at all. He just uses anything from the kitchen sink and, you know, beyond. <laughs> it's just really fantastic. So a beat that I programmed, and even if he'd played just the same, would open up a universe of little sounds. And it, with Two Headed Girl, it's really like as if you open like a little magic music box and it just comes out of there like... Duck, 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 duck. But it's also a nod, Two Headed Girl in particular, to Two Headed Boy from Neutral uh, Milk Hotel. Mm. And I love the sound on that album. It's really good. So you're saying all these little xylophone sounding things are actually tuned percussion that Samuel Lee's playing, not something you programmed. Yeah, yeah. Everything on there will be, will be a thing. <laughs> and there's a nice growth through the song. 
this is a it's in three four with a kind of a six note riff. You couldn't put straight drums over this if you wanted to because you would be doing prog drum odd time or something like this. It's more just a rolling. Yeah, you need a simile on it. Was this like the previous song lyrics first, kind of as a chanted over nothing song, or was this come with the music? Because it sounds to me like you know, a tract that you'd written and that you're kind of singing it before any instruments or keyboards enter the uh, picture. You're dead on the money there. It was really a little riff and I sat on the piano and I was like, and you know and then i started just kind of what does this girl do where does she go and then it was not all of the songs are born like that it's really a few of them are and memphis that's also on that record actually one of the songs where i sat down and i'm like i had these chords i might have been playing with the chords you know just on the piano or rehearse or something and i maybe had played it like a little riff or something but this one was one It just came alive with me on the piano describing this person. And then when I was like, oh, this song is about this two-headed girl thing, and it sounds a bit loopy and TikTok and music box. And, you know, I kind of like the soundscape of Two-Headed Boy on the whole album. That sounds a bit the Neutral Milk Hotel album that, you know, has a particular sound to it. I don't want to say DIY sound because I actually don't like that expression. (laughs) But And so I, you know, had this weird circus attraction and images in my head. And then from there, the song just wrote itself a little bit. So this your night is over part, do you consider this the chorus or is it just kind of the thing that's at the end of the verse before you go to a second verse? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that song in particular doesn't have that much of that structure. I do like that when songs do that, they kind of go over and over and then there's this end part and you're like, wait, that's nice. And oh, it's over. (laughs) And so... I would say in that piece, you'd probably call it, you know, the resolution or it just opens up. It's this boy's last night. So goodbye. And you're off. (laughs) Off with his head. Well, and I'm a sucker just for, you know, repeat the same thing, but add one more layer. And so that we've seen that throughout the song. But for that resolution part, the fact that you've got it's your night is over the first time and the second is love your night is over. And then the third time you add sleep and love so that you're sort of adding more and more stuff. And by the end of the song, I'm mixing challenge. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Are there things that are going away by the time we get to two minutes? Or is it just all crammed in there carefully so that you can keep putting stuff even on top of it? That's where the, the first place that real drums really splash out as doing something crazy. I now realize what a creepy, scary lullaby that is <laughs> for someone who's like going to be cut off any minute. And the mixing, I mean, jazz is just so great because it was a really fantastic mixing experience. I personally really love when it gets to mixing stage because I'm done <laughs> and I get to sit in the back of the room and just listen. And jazz, especially with, you know, it was sort of the same decision that I knew I don't want regular drums on this because it wouldn't work with my songs or would drag them in a direction that I don't want them to be in. I also knew that it's probably advisable to not mix them in a regular sense. So I would say that definitely the drums are quite loud and the percussion is really crisp. That So the mix is really, because jazz is with Simeon Mobile Disco, it's really electronic music heavy, everything he does. So he has a real appreciation for rhythm. 
So for him, he had a lot of fun with that, but he managed to really leave space for everything, which I'm always surprised that that works, especially like you say, you know, you layer and layer and layer and you're like, how are we going to put all of that in that you can still listen to it and get the full soundscape? So that was fun. I remember Samuel Lee sometimes when the mixes came back, he was like, my drums are loud. I'm like, yeah, but they're great. So <laughs> they're right there. And I want to call attention. I want to play. This is about two minutes, seven seconds in. This place where you add a little blue note, you add a, a minor third, I guess, to take us out of the song. You have this chord progression that gets over it. You know, the, the whole thing has basically been a drone. And then it's like a tiny change, yeah. Yeah, was that a, an arrangement thing to just, you know, how am I going to end the song or where did, where did that little bit come in? I think with songwriting, you sit there and you mold away, you sort of chisel away on the thing. And especially with something where you're very repetitive and the lyrics are sort of very repetitive, but always a little change, a little twist. The image changes a bit. There's just the point where you know something's going to happen now. And then in that particular case, it's like I'm fiddling. I'm like, something is happening here. There is a change. It's going to be a tad darker because it sounded light in this mix. So the change in lyrics has to sort of also be a change in for this song. Sometimes it's nice if the lyrics change and the music doesn't or the other way around. But the change is quite drastic in this realization that, you know, okay, now love, goodbye, sleep, you know, and this is just going to turn into another love bloodbath. So it just needed that twist. For a drone song, it's still remarkably short, <laughs> right? Drone songs often can <laughs> just go on five, seven minutes. But before we go on to the next song, let's stop and talk about our sponsor this week, which is again, Masterclass. Masterclass is an app accessible on your phone, web, or Apple TV, offering over 75 classes on many, many topics taught by world-class masters at the top of their fields. These video lessons are cinema quality, giving you unparalleled access to music greats like Herbie Hancock, Hans Zimmer, Itzhak Perlman, Reba McIntyre, Danny Elfman, Usher, Timbaland, Christina Aguilera, and more. These folks really get into their techniques, talk about the music business, get into both high-level life lessons and down-and-dirty details. The lessons are easy to navigate. They come with supplementary materials, maybe sheet music in some cases. This week, I looked at a brand new class, Robin Roberts Teaches Effective and Authentic Communication, which for me is the kind of class that's a bonus for getting a masterclass all-access pass. Some of these music classes I could spend weeks on. This one is two and a half hours long, over 11 videos. You can watch it at double speed like I did. So Robin works at Good Morning America, if you did not recognize that name. And she talks about public speaking, about interviewing for a job, about conducting interviews for TV. And a lot about getting the confidence to be honest, be authentic, and just be an all-around more effective communicator, which is something all of us can use. Certainly, me doing a podcast, but whether you're a musician who's going to be interviewed at some point, or just dealing with the world, this was really useful stuff that I got so quickly. And I've downloaded the very nice-looking class workbook that I can keep long after my subscription has lapsed. So find out why Masterclass gets a 4.7 out of 5 rating by reviewers. And if you're not satisfied with your all-access pass, Masterclass offers a 30-day money-back guarantee. So I highly recommend you check it out. Get unlimited access to every Masterclass. And as a nakedly examined music listener, you get 15% off the annual all-access pass. Go to masterclass.com slash examined. That's masterclass.com slash examined for 15% off Masterclass. 
Let's continue on that. We get the third song out there, Flowers of Love, the last song from your first album, Storytelling, Piano Playing, Fräulein, 2009. So this is a little over a minute. Do you want to say a little about it before we hear it? I picked Flowers of Love in particular because it was the last song I'd written for that album, the last song that kind of made it on the album. And I really love it. And I think it is the song that sort of really rang in everything that came afterwards. So when I started writing the album, I was sort of still in Germany and kind of like, who am I? Blink, 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 blink. Where's my life going? And then I went on a plane and went to New York and spent a lot of time there and, you know, went to open mic bars and listened and played and listened and played and listened and played and kept coming back. And in that time, I moved within Germany. So I moved to Berlin, which is sort of, you know, everyone's like, oh, music capital of, of Germany. And, you know, I met the producer that I worked with on my first album there. So that was great. But there was, um, a big change in my life that happened during... So this whole album was a journey in itself, a literal journey, because I went from Munich to New York to Berlin, but also just as a songwriter. Like when I listen to it, I just... It's really flashback time for me, but Flowers of Love was really kind of where I felt... I don't know. There was just... I remember the last note there. There's a little blue note, a little change in there as well, where I go to a B. And that was my friend Brian, who was like... (laughs) I think I was rehearsing or practicing at his house in New York and he was just like, go to the B. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And then we were just, that just changed. I feel like my entire songwriting that followed or just, you know, when you, especially when you travel as a musician, when you are born and raised in Germany, the understanding of music is very different. Like, you know, you clap on one and three and then you go to America. They're like, no man, two and four. Are you crazy? So these little bits, you know, and they enrich you. And I felt that with Flowers of Love for me, it just opened something up. I started doing, you know, some more harmonies, some more choir arrangements. The piano became a little bit less the kind of anchor that I was still sort of holding on to in other songs. I'm like, I play piano. Ah! Some don't bloom yet, some need warmth to bloom, some do always bloom, some never have a blossom, some only bloom once and then die, some seeds are never planted, some spread across the countries and borders, some get framed, some written down, some are looked at, some not recognized, some bloom in the dark, some bloom fast, some need time. Some can bloom under bad conditions Some can't, some can't survive a storm Some can't, some need a lot of rain Some get framed, some written down Some are looked at, some not recognized Some bloom in the dark Some bloom fast, some need time Show me the flowers, I wanna grow a garden Show me the flowers, I wanna make a garden Show me the flowers, I wanna grow a garden Show me the flowers, I wanna in my hair. Wow, for that buildup of what this opened up in you, <laughs> that's surprising coming out of it because this almost seems like we're really stripping back to basics. The melody is kind of Yankee Doodle. It's got, you know, and when piano does come in, it's playing what one chord, quarter notes, a little while, and then it's gone. And the harmonies are you singing in unison with yourself some of the time, right? Is that yeah. the extent of it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Let's get a little more specific. What elements of what we just heard connect with what that intro that you just gave? 
again, you know, I think that was because it's also called Flowers of Love. It's really, it was the seed for everything that followed. I can obviously, because I'm really looking on it from the inside. So it's probably harder from the outside. So you're like, really? That connects? I mean, I was in a metal band before and I'm like, that makes sense. And people are like, really? That connects? <laughs> How? And I think it makes perfect sense. So the same with Flowers of Love. But it was just this journey of this entire album the different recording sessions. It was the last recording session, the song I just kind of really want it on there. It is really just the seed, just this little awakening of like, and I mean, when it comes to simple, I mean, I've, my most successful song is written on C the whole time, like a C drone, <laughs> nothing changes. So I think the beauty and the strength of simplicity, that that is also something I can really do well is also something that obviously took years to emerge, but there's this point where you kind of know some door opened. You know, I tried all these songs. I went to all these open mic bars. I had a band. We toured extensively. And then I, you know, I was all alone in New York in these open mics and had like my little nuggets and cutesies of songs, which, you know, a lot of them are on Storytelling Piano Playing Fraulein, where I'm like, oh, cute. <laughs> oh, you wrote a song. And then that was sort of, I think after, you know, all this time in, in America and all this time playing and playing and playing in open mic bars and listening to fantastic people and just fully diving into like, this is what I'm gonna do. That was for me the little moment where, you know, where a door really swung open. Well, I can certainly see that with the lyrics. And I guess this, again, like the previous one strikes me as one that you could have written while walking around, you know, in other words, no instrument is necessary to anchor this to then I agree. let your imagination go over it. Although then, so the rhythms are interesting. So some only bloom and then die. Some seeds are never planted. Some spread across countries. And, you know, so by that point, there's way too many syllables to follow yes. along strictly <laughs> as you with the first verse that you're exactly just doubling the bass. Some don't bloom yet rhythmically, but it sort of gets more and more syllables as it goes on. And then having this slow down at the end, the, show me the flowers in my hair, I want to wear them in my hair. Let's actually jump to this 49 seconds in where the whole thing opens up and you it's a whole different time signature. Show me the flowers, I want to grow a garden. Show me the flowers, I want to make a garden. Show me the flowers, I want to grow a garden. Show me the flowers, I want to wear them in my hair. We open up into a full choir. Yeah. From this very simple beginning without a lot of preparation. I mean, there's been a little growth during the song, but mostly it's just the flowers open. Yeah, it's like, bam. <laughs> yeah, there was definitely no spring. It goes from like, we're planting some seeds in winter. It's summer. <laughs> and then at the end, you know, you hear that little bee, show me the loud, I want to wear them in my hair. Yep. And that made all the difference to me. You know, it didn't need that, but that is the joy of songwriting. You're like, that one note. <laughs> No one else probably notices, but it makes the songwriter very happy. Letting the original riff, even though it's piano and bass together with this changed note, have the last word. That it's not that you just open up into the big choral thing and then kind of end with a big symphonic. No, it has to reduce back down to the, dun, 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 you know, just to reprise that. And that's the end of the album. It just amuses me. It makes me yes. really happy. And thinking of it, it's honestly right now I'm traveling years back in time. It's so much fun. I remember the first time I played this at the open mic on Mondays at the Sidewalk Cafe, which is now closed in New York, just generally closed anyhow, not because of the current situation. 
And my friend was in the audience and I was just like, bam, 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 bam. and I was like, and the bee. <laughs> and it was just, you know, this whole interaction with the audience that you get at open mics, with the musicians you get, you know, with the community you get. It was just so nurturing. Now, since the songs that you chose were so short, we get to have an extra one. So let's talk about <laughs> In This Mouth. So you've done several collaborations with other people, including beyond your three solo albums with Anushka Shankar from Love Letters 2020. And I noticed you're on about four of the songs for that. Do you want to say before we hear it, what the character of that collaboration was? Like, were you actually in a room with her at any point? Or was this her sending her sitar things across the internet and you adding vocals? Or how, how did this work? This was a really wonderful collaboration. Really, again, I'm going to say nurturing, but really nurturing and really joyful and so satisfying, like few things I've done before. So how it came about was that I met Anushka because I sang on Land of Gold, the title track for her latest album. We have a common friend and she was talking to her and saying, oh, I really need a singer for this track. My friend said, I know a singer and I think you guys would really get along well and it will match so on that day i get a call and it's like hey can you come sing on the record and i'm like oh my god of course and so we live really close from each other in in london and so i went to her house and we tried out a few vocal lines on land of gold we knew it was going to work you know we had like the main line we had it sort of down then i took the session home and wrote a bit more you know and fiddled around with the lyrics and then afterwards when probably a year or two had passed the album, you know, that one was already out. Anushka and I were sort of sometimes in touch. And then she, you know, she got back in touch and was like, hey, how are you doing? You know, let's hang. Let me tell you a few things. And we just started hanging out. Then I met her in California because we were there at the same time. And we kind of decided on the beach, you know, we, we should be making music together again soon. And then we, I think actually that time, even I was in California for some time, and then we went back to her house there and talked about the material she would like to get out, what it is. She had a few poems that she wanted to put to music, and it was a very organic process. We would meet many months later, and we'd be like sitting down over a cup of tea in the studio. Our kids would play, or we'd be like interrupted because we would just sort of I don't want to say not work mode, but sort of really incorporate life into work. Because especially when it gets to music, what's more in the middle of life than music? So we didn't kind of arrange studio sessions where we're like, we're going to work from two to five and then we're going to have a song. It was more like, what are the things you want to say? What are the things you want to get out? What are the things I can sort of feel that are in the air? You know, how about, you know, this line? How about this topic? We talked about this. So we would really sit together and craft these songs together, always in a room with one another. My name feels safe in your I like the way you call it out A baby bird upon your tongue caressed beloved A baby bird upon your tongue caressed beloved <laughs> I call 
Did you have an instrument in your hand during any of, this, any of this collaboration, or was this purely your vocal mind and her fingers on the sitar? I think I played a bit of bass piano. We played some piano together, her and me, like four-handed piano on one track. But mainly it was the instrument of the mind and, and my voice that's just always in my throat. <laughs> I did get to play the tampura, which was amazing. 
I love it. I didn't play it on the recording, though. On the recording, that's definitely Anushka, but live, I get to play it. This is a more typical drone song in that it, you know, it is over four minutes. It takes its time. It establishes itself. You're kind of feeling out these vocal lines. I guess that sort of fits with this feeling safe, feeling in your mouth, you know, this, this kind of tentative. Yeah. Can you say a little bit about kind of the connection between your word choices here and the way that you're singing it? This slower, just much more settled approach. In This Mouth in particular, that is a poem that Anushka wrote a while back for someone. And I took it and I was like, hey, this can be a song. Look, we can sing it like that. So what you described earlier in Flowers of Love, you know, like, hey, there's too many syllables or like, what are you squeezing in? What are you doing? That's also something I really love to do. So, you know, look at the song and see how the words that are already there can become a melody. And then just, you know, here and there, maybe being like, maybe let's move this a little bit to there or like, it's almost physical the way I describe it. I'm like contorting my body. I'm like, the lyrics need to go like this. So that's um, how we worked on that song. And it's really like a prayer. So that fit the drone vibe really well. And it's slow. And yeah, it really sucks you into a very, very deep state of appreciation for the music, but also for the other person that is being talked about. Yeah, I sort of think about the obvious connotation for me is the George Harrison Beatles songs playing over sitar, which are all, you know, prayers, but, you know, overtly religious we are all one kind of thing. But of course, this texture works very well for a slow, sensual love song thing, which I could not see coming out of George Harrison's mouth in particular. <laughs> a baby bird upon your tongue caressed be love, which that's pretty weird. Why is there a baby bird on your tongue? <laughs> well... <laughs> Was there a through line to it? Was there a story for this or was this just sort of a series of semi-erotic, semi-religious images that are kind of work with the words and carry you forward? I think this in particular is really a love letter to someone. Mm -hmm. So this is really a letter in itself that is like, these are the words. This is what I feel and think. What do you think? I'm like, I think it's a song. <laughs> was it a torture or caress? I confess a loss of knowing which is an interesting thing to put in a love letter, <laughs> I guess. What? Well, I mean, I mean, passion has a lot of different appearances. Fold it into my heart, seed of yourself. Will you move into me, live in this mouth? Yeah. Yeah, ask Anushka, that's what she said. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. Personally, especially singing this song, and this one is also really, we call it our baby, because it was the first ones we really sort of were like, wow. This is you and me creating something and we're so proud of it. And just really combining completely ego-free, anything we had, you know, during this entire process of making, of writing these songs, anything we had, just putting it together to get the best song out of it at the end. You know, not like, I want to have this here because I said it, or I'm going to play this now because I made a cool line. It was really like, this is what wants to live. And how do we shape it with the things that we have to give to it and to one another? So it was really a beautiful record to make, but this song in particular as well, I'm really proud of this one. It's life, really, the way it just, when you listen to it, that there's this passion in it and really also this sensual, prayer-like, really feminine, goddess-like speaking that I really admire Anushka for. And it was just 
wonderful to be part of this song. It sounds like I wasn't in it, but it's really sometimes something is just simply born and you're just like humbled that you were there along the way. It's a great piece of music that I really also enjoy. We just um, had a few live shows, so it's really also wonderful to sing. Let me pull out just a couple individual parts. So at 2.09, there's a verse that for once is not over the sitar. You're singing some choir parts in the background. Let me just play it. Are you a part? Do you feel parted? A parting thing? Was that kind of the last stage or was there something else under there? You know, did she have a sitar part originally and that was replaced or was that just a cappella to start with? Well, it was the melody for the verse, basically the melody for the poem. I really read it and I was like, there's music to this. And then we would play together and the sitar also, we made sure that there's always space for every instrument. So for the voice, but also for the sitar. So there's just room for everyone to breathe and sing their piece. Mm hmm. She played it and, you know, because of the resonance and having the tampura and just having these long stretches of where there is, you know, space and you don't need to fill it, especially when I'm actually saying something. And then I added the vocals. That was quite late, actually, I think, in the process of sort of being like, this is the song and then there needs to be, this can grow with the tempura, but also we could, you know, we could put the hums in there. Although now saying that, I do remember that we were in the studio and we were already, I kind of have this image of already harmonizing with ums and ums with it while we were sort of fiddling around with the song. So yeah, I mean, you'd have to, <laughs> just remembering exactly how everything came about is hard, but it was not as much of a like, okay, now we have the basis of the song and let's just add things to it or produce it. It was really, we're in a room, what else does the song need? And even sometimes I would just, with Anushka together, or she would do like a background vocal and we just kind of map it out and then just get a proper recording of it. But it was within the writing process already. The other place I wanted to pull out was the last section. On the of my tongue, curve of my breast, fold it in. I guess I don't normally associate sitar with tremolo, like the sort of bazooki like or Japanese koto. There's no reason a sitar couldn't do that, but I'm sure it's just my ignorance of the the instrument. I don't recall having heard that. You know, and to introduce that at this late point in the song to, you know, give you a completely different texture than what's happened before. It's a, it's a nice variation. I do like it when, you know, you get a little bit of something at the end where you're like, wow. And then it just doesn't go on for that long. And you just kind of have to listen to the song again. <laughs> yeah, it's really nice. Anushka, I think, is really not only masterful, obviously, the sitar, but also really inventive with what the sounds can be with it and what else can be done with it or if something can be looped or layered over while you play, which is something we also we also did. So I was surprised when actually preparing for this that the songs that we talked about weren't as orchestrated as your albums as a whole struck me. That a lot of, you know, even the first album, there's some very orchestrated, there's strings that are on some tracks. Anytime you're talking, there's a full choir on it, it's going to sound lush. But it's still, you're combining that with still a pretty minimalist approach throughout that seems to fit your, you know, very vocal centric thing. What is your next project? Are we going to have like a fully 
I know for obviously for the soundtrack things that you've been doing, are you going to open up and, you know, write your symphony at some point or, or are you more vocal driven for the next batch of songs or? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, I was quite pleased having released just my latest album end of last year and having the sample library out with it as well. It was all, you know, it was a lot of, a lot of work. It was a really intensive year. And then also early, early this year, the Anushka record came out that I obviously was heavily involved in. And I was kind of like, Oh, I'm going to just take a breather. I would have liked to play a bit more live, but that like with three with this album. So I'll see how that will happen. I wrote a commission piece right now. I just got a soundtrack through where I'm just um, doing vocals on, which involve no creativity at all. And I'm quite pleased because <laughs> I'm just like, just give me some labor. I'll just do that because I just wanted a little bit of quieting down after two very, very intensive years. So I don't know, but I'm usually, it'll probably be somewhere completely different. It usually is what happens is that it sounds really, really different because this album will take me on a journey and then it might be a more of a country record with an acoustic guitar or fully orchestrated cinematic album. I mean, everything's possible, really. Yeah, I was a little surprised given that you've got a decade plus of work that so much of it is concentrated in these last few years. Is that just because, you know, so many new opportunities have opened up? So you got the first album was 2009. You've got what you had a, released a single in 2012 and then the next full album is 2016. So you were working on soundtracks and stuff in the, in between. How does the shape of the career work here? You know, it's a slow start when you kind of go your own very particular way. You know, a lot of things, I would say my first album was done already, but then it, you know, it could have come out faster, but it didn't. And, you know, there was a lot of talks with labels involved, major labels, kind of a, a never ending back and forth, which was exhausting. And then just the writing in between, I guess, but also because I sort of very steadily worked away on like what I think I want, you know, what I wanted to create. I have a sound now that I can look back on and say, this is what it will sound like if I will work on something. But that particular career path, which wasn't really a choice, it was just sort of what I was doing. Looking back at it, I understand, okay, so you just did whatever you wanted and you stubbornly moved on with that. And that sometimes the hill will be a bit steeper, but it'll just at least go on for a while. So now I can see that. It took a while to then be able to kind of get the rewards for the hard work, basically. So you put in, you know, you put in 10 years of something and you're like, oh my God, when's this going to be worth it? Was I wrong, you know, betting on my horse, so to speak, doing it the way I wanted it? And then, but then no, you know, then all of a sudden it goes boom, boom, boom. Here's a little bit, here's a little bit. But there's also, again, so much luck. The thing with Black Mirror, the song in particular, you know, I just had a little show where I was singing for a friend who I co-wrote a piece with. Film composer sees it. I say, if you ever need a song, let me know. Two days later, he's like, I actually need a song. Then it sometimes goes a bit faster. And obviously, when one person finally opens a door for you, or like at least a more important door for you, then all of a sudden people are like, oh, you did this. Okay, so why don't you come in here as well then? Or why don't you do this as well? And I think it's just when you grow, or at least in my case, growing as a songwriter and producer and composer and singer, and that just took its time. 
there were so many life lessons I learned along the way, so many chores I was doing, you know, so much studio time, so much just sitting and watching a screen or watching others do stuff because it was very much learning by doing. And then just kind of carving out where, not following the industry basically as well in Germany, just being very particular about like, or stubborn about like, no, I don't want to, you know, that doesn't sound right to me. There must be a different way. And then you go a different way from everyone else. That's just going to take a lot longer, but it might get you where you want to be. And I'm actually really, really happy and really pleased. I will tell my past self to not despair. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks so much for doing this. I really enjoyed immersing myself. And you have few enough albums that I could listen to them all multiple times. And that was <laughs> nice. <laughs> we'll end by folks are going to hear Cigarettes and Blow, another with the choir from Three. Do you have a couple words to say about that song in particular before we say goodbye? That's a song that I started writing in my time in Berlin and it never found its voice. But then finally it did for this album. And I do also know that Roomful of Teeth want to be called a vocal ensemble. <laughs> So again, with this, I had the pleasure to sing with them. And this particular song wasn't actually a demo I made and my main vocal was already on there. But because it's so freely sung, the demo of it was just, it was like, what are you singing? You know, it's like made no sense with any time signature. And this song we sang all together. It's all in one. It's like one take. It was probably our second take. We didn't do more than three for any song. So in this one, yeah, we sang all together. And it was great to finally see this song come to life. Excellent. Well, have a great day. Thank you so much. Bring cigarettes and blow Play cool, won't let it show That I still love you so That I can let That I want you so To never let me go Hide my face from pain I don't want to feel again Put a smile on my while I ache for your embrace Clench my teeth and erase What once was my grace Clench my teeth and erase What once was my Walk 
Thanks so much to Alev. It's, of course, wonderful for me to talk to people with a lot of ideas behind their songs. We ended up talking afterward a little about my philosophy podcast, Partially Examined Life, so hopefully she'll be hooked on that. And I'm always looking for guests from this podcast to come and talk about philosophy with me. Who knows? For more about Alev, see alevlens.com. I feel like going into this one blind spot that I had is I didn't know that any recordings were available from her metal band, Alev. But there are some on YouTube. I will link to them from the blog post associated with this episode at nakedlyexaminedmusic.com. And I have to recommend her song and the show, Dark, from Netflix. It is a cool German time-traveling thing, kind of like Lost. Now, of course, I have to acknowledge what's going on in the news with the protests and all that. I would love to amplify more African-American voices on this show. If you are one of those, if you know someone, if you are connected to someone, if you would just like to hear me talk to somebody in particular, please reach out to me at mark at nakedlyexaminedmusic.com. However, I have already recorded the next five episodes. I really need to get myself to take a break in these interviews so that I can catch up. My next is with Victor DiLorenzo, drummer for Violent Femmes, also a jazz player and a fine indie solo artist in his own right. And looking ahead, just yesterday I interviewed Roger Joseph Manning Jr., who rose to fame in the band Jellyfish. He's in Beck's backing band, has a new project called the Licorice Quartet. That is definitely one to look forward to. I am very much hoping that you will subscribe directly to this podcast at nakedlyexaminedmusic.com or by looking up Nakedly Examined Music on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you could leave a nice rating or review while you're there, that would be wonderful. And as usual, I must plug patreon.com slash nakedlyexaminedmusic, which is the most direct, most immediate, most effective way to provide your support and ensure that this podcast will keep getting made. I hope you're being well, staying safe. Keep on musicking. This is Mark Linton Meyer signing off. <laughs>